Hello, and welcome to a new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist Ken Holzhauser. I came to an epiphany years ago that there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. I know there are movies, television programs, and music that are seen as guilty pleasures, junk food for the mind, but there's enough negativity in this world without feeling embarrassed by our own entertainment. It was made to be enjoyed, so enjoy it. I'm uh, I'm feeling like I've been beating up on the 70s a little bit these last couple of weeks. Um, I've picked some of the more icky TV movies and films from the 70s, and I feel like I owe it to the decade to, um, to write the ship to maybe bring something a little bit more wholesome to the proceedings before I move on to some other decades. So with that in mind, I'm picking something from 1978 that I have very warm, nostalgic feelings for that is also, um, it's a little difficult to find. And uh, those who grew up with it remember it and maybe remember it more negatively than they should. Today, I'm going to talk about the new Fantastic Four. It was the world's strangest accident while testing a new rocket ship. Our heroes were bombarded by mysterious cosmic rays from outer space. Though they crash-landed safely, the strange and powerful rays had changed each one of them, transforming their leader, Reed Richards, into the plastic-skinned Mr. Fantastic. Sue Richards into the Now You See Her, Now You Don't, Invisible Girl, and Ben Grimm into a mighty-muscled powerhouse called The Thing. Now, together with Herbie the Robot, the newest member of the group, they have become the greatest team of superheroes the world has ever known. The new Fantastic Four. Behold, the castle royal of the far-off forbidden kingdom of Latveria. Herein dwells the most powerful, the most mysterious monarch in all the world. Guarded by a fighting force that never sleeps, that never relaxes its vigilance. For none is as feared, none has as many foes as Dr. Doom, the awesome armor-clad Lord of Latveria. The Fantastic Four. The time has come for them to meet their master. Little do they dream that soon they shall be serving Dr. Doom. Are you enjoying your new comic book, Ben? Yeah, Susie, it's got a lot of action, but there's something nutty about the Silver Surfer, you know? I mean, who ever heard of a guy with silver skin? What's so strange about that, Benjamin? After all, you've got orange skin. Who asked you, Tinhead? Oh, Magneto, I let you in before in order to learn your plan to trap you. But now the victory belongs to the Fantastic Four. Fool! Have you forgotten my invincible magnetic power? No mere weapon can stop me. With but a gesture, I can destroy it or turn it against you. Behold! I'll make it leap from your hand and make you its target. Now! Not this time, Magneto. This time I'm fighting for real. It's impossible! Here come the police. You won't be lonely much longer. Okay, Richards. We'll take care of him now. First, tell me, how did you do it? How did you take away my power? I didn't, Magneto. I merely tricked you. You lie. 
I couldn't control your gun. You made me lose my magnetism. You're wrong. I just guessed that you'd overlook one simple thing. Your magnetic power only works on metal, like all magnets. But my gun isn't real. I made it out of wood, specially to fool you. What? A wooden gun? That's why your power didn't work. And it's why you're a prisoner of the police now. Take him away, man. A wooden gun. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so now, now, not even getting into the fact that uh, Reed told him, you know, that the gun was wooden. Why does Magneto go ahead and go along with the cops? He should make, like, police salsa out of them and then, like, bend the metal cars and fly away. I, okay, I don't want to get into it. There's a That's a rabbit hole I don't think I need to disappear into. Growing up, the Fantastic Four was actually one of my most favorite Marvel comics. The two Marvel comics I absolutely had to read all the time were Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. In fact, when I first started reading the Fantastic Four, the, the lineup at that time was Mr. Fantastic, The Thing, The Human Torch, and Medusa, The Lady with the Living Hair. So I kind of came into the concept of the Fantastic Four knowing that the membership shifts a little bit based on um, interpersonal squabbles, uh, family issues, things like that. I knew growing up that the Fantastic Four was not a book like, say, the Avengers or the Defenders, where characters just come and go, or a book like the Justice League, where the membership stays pretty much rock solid forever. This was a book, I, I realize this is not a particularly original observation, but it's a book where the superhero team is a family, and as such... They uh, they can have falling out with each other. They can have other obligations. They have things going on. So I come into this cartoon already predisposing that idea of the Fantastic Four. Now, in the wake of the 1966 Batman boom, all of the uh, Saturday morning cartoons were skewing towards superheroes. Things like uh, Space Ghost, stuff like that. The 1967... Uh, wave of Saturday morning cartoons included classics like Spider-Man, who, you know, as you recall, does whatever a spider can, and Hanna-Barbera's Fantastic Four, which is a great cartoon, by the way. It doesn't get seen very much. It's peak uh, Hanna-Barbera animation in its way, and it features some really great Alex Toth designs for the Fantastic Four and its world. It's it's also adapting really closely to the comics, so it's a great show. It was, for all intents and purposes, popular, but for whatever reason, it only had one fairly short season back in 67. And it didn't get a lot of repeats because there's only a limited number of episodes. Now, in 1978, uh, press... And anticipation is starting to reach a fever pitch. I'd mentioned in a previous episode that there was a lot of speculation going into Superman the movie being a big deal. So Marvel was really, really adamant about getting its uh, profile raised, getting as many properties into television as possible. Uh, for television, they had uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk. They'd made an attempt at a Doctor Strange TV movie, two Captain America TV movies, and among other properties, there was um, there was a proposed Human Torch TV movie. Now, the best of my memory of this is 
that the Human Torch was going to be a race car driver who was using like an experimental fuel, and there was an accident, and that's why he had the ability to uh, burst into flame, control flames, things like that. Uh, the TV movie never really got off the ground, but because the rights to the character were tied up, this will become significant a little later on. Now, Hanna-Barbera was looking for a new series for 78. I think there was some interest in bringing the Fantastic Four back, and it was a property that they already had designs for and they were ready to roll with uh, until they had heard that DFE was interested in the program as well. They wanted to do um, a Fantastic Four cartoon, and they had... Uh, an ace up their sleeve, they had a, wor- a good working relationship with Jack Kirby, the uh, one of the two creators of the Fantastic Four. So, as I understand the story, uh, basically Hanna-Barbera traded them the rights for the Fantastic Four for a property that they had the rights to, which was Godzilla. So that year, Hanna-Barbera brought out their Godzilla cartoon series with Godzuki, And DFE brought out the new Fantastic Four. But because of the rights issue I'd mentioned with the Human Torch, their fourth member of the group was going to be the lovable Herbie the Robot. So you can see there was something in the air in 1978. It's a a really faithful adaptation of the cartoon. I remember watching as a kid, and one of the things that really strikes me right away is how legitimate it feels. The animation is incredibly limited. It's it's not going it's not Akira, everybody. It's 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 really stiff. But to make up for it, the storyboards for the new Fantastic Four are done by Jack Kirby. So the characters look like they've been ripped from the pages of Marvel Comics. In fact, there is unmistakable Kirby all over this cartoon. Everybody uh, poses in the idiosyncratic Jack Kirby ways, all of the gadgets, all of the stuff. Heck, Herbie the Robot was designed by Jack Kirby, and it's it's got all of those touches to it. Um, it looks... It, it, sure, the animation's a little stiff, I'll grant you that. It's limited, as I said before, but it, the characters look great. The world looks like the Fantastic Four. And the, uh, the cherry on top is that most of these scripts are written by Stan Lee or by Roy Thomas. So they sound like the Fantastic Four. They sound like a Saturday morning version of the Fantastic Four, but it's it's authentic. It feels good. Even the loss of the Human Torch is one I can live without because, and I'm just going to say this once and just say it quietly, the Human Torch is my least favorite member of the Fantastic Four. But moving on, it's a it's a fun book. the uh, The series does adaptations of classic Fantastic Four stories. You see them do um, the first Doctor Doom story, where they have to go back in time to steal Blackbeard's treasure. Uh, you see uh, Calamity on Campus, or the first meeting of the Inhumans. Uh, as far as the this is a very short cartoon, by the way. I think this has the lowest number of episodes of any Fantastic Four project, which is a little unfair, but they bring in all of the uh, the proper Fantastic Four stuff. You get uh, Doctor Doom episodes, you get the Skrulls, you get the Impossible Man, you get uh, 
the Frightful Four, you get the Inhumans, uh, Magneto that we were just referring to a minute or two ago. Um, one character you absolutely don't get, though, is Namor the Submariner. And it was believed that Namor was going to feel a little too close to the then-current television series The Man from Atlantis starring Patrick Duffy, so Namor was going to have to sit this one out. Now, it's not at all a perfect cartoon by any means. Some of the uh, some of the things in it are dopey even by child standards. I think you... I, I was just complaining a minute ago about that absolutely terrible business with the uh, wooden gun. I wouldn't recommend that to hardcore Fantastic Four fans. But the characters look right. They sound right. I like Herbie the Robot there. I said it. I like Herbie. Herbie has a cutesy voice from Frank Welker, the legendary voice of absolutely every cartoon, and it's it's fine. It's a computerized cutesy voice. I mean, we are also in the full blush of post-Star Wars mania, where every TV series has a cute or a wise-cracking robot in the show, and of course the Fantastic Four ends up with a cute and a wise-cracking robot, so, you know, two for the price of one. I also like Ted Cassidy as the Thing. I think the the voices of the Thing have always been difficult in these cartoons. Um, I'm not, I wasn't super crazy about the 60s version. I think it's Paul Freese that does the voice in the 60s, and um, the 90s cartoon with Chuck McCann was a little too, uh, too comedic. I feel like uh, Ted Cassidy has got the bluster and the comedy of how gravelly he is, trying to make him sound like a funny monster, and I feel like that works better, certainly, for the cartoon. He gives the character a lot more personality than the animation is going to. The cartoon didn't last long, and its legacy to people of my generation is Herbie the Robot. It's people absolutely hated Herbie. They hated uh, that their cartoon was being treated in such a childish way. Uh, they treat, they, everybody seems to hate the, the mascot characters on these shows. Even I, as a kid, understood that there was uh, a price of doing business when it comes to uh, seeing adaptations of cartoon characters or comic book characters. Um, I understood that you were going to get a Space Monkey Gleek or a Wonder Dog or a Wonder Twins or a Ms. Lion or Herbie the Robot. You were going to get a cutesy something added to your show because it was still decades before you would get a full-bodied, no-holds-barred adaptation of an animated series. It would take until the early 90s one-two punch of Batman the Animated Series and the X-Men for you to get the tone of these comics done correctly in animation. And then from there, it just, it just blossomed. The character of Herbie also appears in the comics and, uh, memorably, they make him a villain in the, in the late seventies, early eighties of the fantastic four comic. Uh, anymore, I think Herbie is treated with a certain level of like kitschy nostalgia You'll see him in the background of a Fantastic Four comic. I think at this point they have regular use of Herbies as little helper robots. Uh, the uh, the most recent run of Fantastic Four action figures had a Herbie the Robot that came with it. It's it's accepted now, but poor Herbie had to go through decades of being slagged off and hated for his sin of simply not being the Human Torch and being a product of his times. 
it's unfair. I like Herbie. I do. And I like the new Fantastic Four. And it's not available on DVD anywhere. You can find maybe a couple of episodes on YouTube. Maybe. Uh, it's probably one of those things you'll have to go to a convention and look for a bootleg of. Because uh, for whatever reason, now that Disney has the property, a lot of these older uh, 70s and 60s versions of the characters are not seeing the light of day. You're not ever going to see the Nicholas Hammond Amazing Spider-Man TV series for fear that it's going to damage the brand. You're not going to see um, the 1960s Fantastic Four movie or the... Uh, the really limited and stiff Marvel superheroes cartoons. Uh, you're not going to see Spider Woman, and it's unfortunate because there's there's appeal to these things. There's appeal to a version of superheroes that is particularly kid friendly. There's an appeal in superheroes that are an entry point for fandom, and there's a lot that you can enjoy in a thing like this, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. See you next time in the next episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. Looking for something new and exciting in comics? Perhaps that other dynamic duo, The Quick and the Dad. It's a love letter to the DC, Marvel, Archie, and Harvey comics of my youth. Available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com. Within the pages of The Quick and the Dad, you will find supervillains dad jokes, strange, exciting worlds, really goofy supervillains, and bad puns, I promise. Each issue will delight and confound you in equal measure, and it's available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com.